Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the podcast where I share the inspiring stories of diverse leaders bringing equity to financial systems through fintech. I'm Nicole Casperson. Money isn't everything. It is everything adjacent. Money touches almost every part of our lives, our hopes, dreams, ambitions, health, and well-being. So what does it mean to draw all the industry players together to share learnings, successes, and maybe more importantly, our failures? In this episode of Humans of Fintech, I talk to Money 2020's own president, Tracy Davies, and Chief Growth and Strategy Officer, Scarlett Seaver, about what it means to bring an industry together and what plans they have for the future. I'm so excited for you to tune into this episode live from Money 2020 Amsterdam in Europe. It was such a treat to fly out there and podcast right in their Money Hot booth with a giant honeycomb and honey inside the booth and everything. It was such a treat. And enjoy this candid, authentic, and holistic conversation with the powerhouse women that are Tracy Davies and Scarlett Sieber. Enjoy. Welcome to Humans of Fintech. This is called the VIP experience. Yeah. Are you kidding? You the three of us just for you. This is like my dream. My it's, dream, seriously, I know that seems weird, but my dream is to like have a round table of just like badass women in the space so that we can just have real talk and, and discuss what's really going on. Like my own version of like the red table talk is, is this, is the money pot booth. The badass women of money 2020. Yes. <gasps> That's awesome. Gotta put that on a magazine. Um, Tracy, Scarlett, thank you so much. Thank you for retweeting whatever it is that you're about to retweet for me. We're getting people to come find you, which I feel like is probably that happens to you quite a bit. How has it been going so far? This is day three. It's day three. <sighs> I mean, big smiles. Your, your energy is on point. Because How does that happen? I've had three. <laughs> it's day three. I've had three coffees. It's all about three. That's true. Okay. Um, I was walking through the street party. Did I tell you this last night? I was walking through the street party and I just heard a woman shout my name. She went, you're Tracy Davies. I was like, yeah, hi. <laughs> and she went, oh, great to meet you. Yeah. I mean, it's the thing when you, you like appear on the stage or, you know, a social post and whatever. That's just sometimes a bit weird. It's like. But it's fun. It's um, fun to be like kind of it's like fun to be famous in small circles yeah I think you know it sort of stacks back I remember way back in Vegas in one of the early days getting recognized and a woman said to me um you're Tracy Davis which always sounds really weird and she said I saw you on the stage today and we were talking about Sally Krawcheck before and I think I'd open for Sally Krawcheck or I'd open for another woman mm. and then there was another woman keynote and back in 2016 that was quite unusual. Yes. Or 2017, I think it was. Uh, you know, we can talk about the transformation of the composition of our stages and gender and those kinds of topics. But she said, oh, my God, I've never seen a woman open a stage like that for another woman. And I did think to mm. myself, this is 2017. This is a bit weird. Yeah. But I remember that was one of the seminal moments, I think, in the early days before I knew Scarlett then about, wow. We have a job to do here to sort of represent the true composition of this industry because those women existed then, they exist today. You know, they just weren't, for some reason, public enough on, on our stages. Right. So you, you'll know the journey to change that. But it just, 
it's when I get recognised, not, you know, because it's just the job you do. Mm. But that meant something to her, you know, that there was a female leader of this business. And I remember then thinking, wow, okay. As I did last night when my name got called out in the middle of the street. I love that, in the middle of the streets of Amsterdam. I mean, it's what makes, it's why narrative and content and coming to these events and being super intentional about who you put on the stages is so important. Mm. Showing up is half, like a majority almost of the deal. You know, I can't even tell you how many women that I'll have on my show who I'll, I'll prep. And, you know, I've been, a, I've been a journalist for a little bit now. And I'll have, like, the CEO of some amazing company who's, like, been on every cover, been on everything. And we'll be backstage before we're about to do a keynote or something. And she's looking at me like, Nicole, I am scared jetless right now. What do I do? Oh, my gosh. Like, I don't know why I put myself through this. And I'm like, you put yourself through this because... One, you're amazing. Let's just cut to that chase. And then two, because every time that you put yourself out there and you share your story, you share what you're doing and you share your product and all that stuff, you are literally opening the door for the next woman to see that and go, oh, that can be me. And that's huge. And people think that's like, I think people see that too frivolously today, content and the seeing, right? But that meant something to her. There's probably thousands of women in that audience that that meant something to. I think it's interesting because I think human beings get nervous about public speaking. It is a well-acknowledged fear. Mm -hmm. But I think in my experience of being backstage, way more women tell me that they're nervous than any Mm -hmm. of our men speakers. So I think there is a need, whatever, you know, that's a whole sort of conversation, which I think is quite interesting. But, uh, you know, I get nervous before I go out on those stages. They're crazy. We all do, you know, but sometimes people think they should mask it and they shouldn't, you know, and all of those kinds of things. But it's quite scary when you go out and do public speaking. And I was, I led a panel yesterday of um, Rise Up alumni and we talked about it and we talked about that the only way it gets comfortable is if you keep doing it. Yep. There's no shortcut, no matter how much public mm-hmm. speaking training you do and they live video you and play <laughs> it back and make you watch it. The only thing that makes it easier is keep doing it. And, mm. you know, and Scarlett and I have the pleasure privilege of doing a lot <laughs> of like, that. But I've sold my soul to keep doing it. <laughs> I keep doing it and you keep walking out there. And I mean, it's, you know, we know that women in fintech are still largely underrepresented. And honestly, they're still largely underrepresented at, at, at industry conferences. And um, one of the best ways I've found to help is to tell the story, right, is the showing up. And that's what you two do all the time. It's your job. You've dedicated your careers to showing up to putting stages together that make a difference and it's huge and yeah well we do which is true but I think the other part of it is it's helping others show up and so Mm -hmm. and I think I'll talk a little bit about it from my perspective but I you would be fascinated I'm sure Nicole when you hear Tracy's journey because she was the original advocate for and pushing this forward. So it is about us being here, but then it's about us utilizing our platform Mm -hmm. and the voice that we have to help elevate the voice of others. And there's a myriad of ways in which we do that. But in terms of the stages specifically, because naturally, you know, the content on our stages, Rachel says it best, like we talk about it all the time, like our job and how I think of our responsibility is to help set the pace for the industry. And so to do that, Mm -hmm. we need to make sure that the voices who are doing that are reflective of what that industry actually looks like. And uh, you go all over the world. I used to go over all the world doing this. Like there are events happening everywhere. But Tracy, years ago, set that mandate from that earlier moment about we have speaker quotas. We make sure we have a certain percentage at minimum. And we set realistic goals and we build it up year over year over Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. 
But, you know, we have over 45% women on our stages and it's a great and proud stat that we have. And that is reflective across every stage. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to just throw a stat out and say whatever Mm -hmm. else, but we make sure that from the biggest stage to the smallest stage, we have representation there. It's a great thing to do, but the amount of work to get to that is ridiculously hard. And the amount of time that we have in those smaller conversations with people big, small companies, whatever else, being like, sorry, not good enough. And we've seen some really cool things. I don't know if you remember this, Tracy, back from 2019. There was a very large company. This was a keynote opportunity. And a few transitions had happened in the larger company. The uh, CEO was no longer able to join us, and they had recommended this woman individual. This woman is a powerhouse, badass bitch, la da 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 all these great things about her. She has a team of 20, whatever else. It's like, well, her title doesn't reflect that. Nicole, they literally changed her title to a C-suite title so she could be on our main stage. Like that, I mean, I literally have goosebumps. That's the type of stuff that happens. And that's like, we do have power when you actually think about it. Our Mm -hmm. stages have that power to change someone's Mm -hmm. title and reflect in a way, which was awesome. But Tracy, I know. I was going to say they changed their title permanently, not just for the stage. Yes, yes, yes. yes. But because of that. Because of that. You know, thing, but... I took a lot of criticism, and even from but from women in my own business, and I, uh, you know, in terms of debates about we shouldn't set quotas, and Mm -hmm. this is, you know, to quota or not to quota. Right? right? There's a whole debate about this, but there were some women in my own business who felt very uncomfortable about it because of the obviously the accusation that you could get women appearing. Just let's just get a woman Mm -hmm, on that. mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. what I will be very clear is that these are fantastic subject matter expert women yes and what we are doing is finding those women in organizations who they are now but you know more so but back then were not naturally being put forward by organizations Mm -hmm. and so the work that Scarlett is talking about is that we have to go work harder find them suggest to the company okay well they're not you know they've not done a lot of public speaking okay you have to be willing to work with them and you know I've talked to a lot of senior women about you know we have an advisory board changed over the years but I remember talking to the original advisory board about this and you know some women or senior women in the industry feel had felt uncomfortable quotas now what's really interesting is a lot of that position has changed today Mm -hmm. so when I talk to senior women now I think there is a lot more. No, we need quotas. We have to affect the change that Mm -hmm. has to come. This isn't happening. The glacial speed. I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, we can talk about the 200 gap still left on uh, 200 year gap on Pega. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think organizations and I remember back then listening to a Julie Sweet when she was, I think, the CEO of North America, now CEO of the whole of Accenture, talking about you got to measure it. And if you don't measure it and you don't publish it, it ain't going to change. And we were really clear about that. But it was an uncomfortable, and it was uncomfortable for me because I don't want anyone to think, oh, I spoke at Money 2020 because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No way, you know. And so, you know, it's because you're subject matter expert women. And we often use that term to really qualify it. But we, you know, that is a debate that has gone on and on and people have different views on it, I know. Mm. But yeah, I mean, but you know how to measure, you know, the success for Money 2020 and what you're doing. And I'm sure you can like feel the difference, right? And I, I actually think it's a balance. Like in my opinion, it's the balance of you have to have the quota set and you have to have it fundamentally baked into the fabric and the DNA of your company, of your leadership. And everyone needs to be on board. And what's cool about that is when inclusion or diversity is baked into the fabric of what you do, 
you no longer need to have diversity panels. You no longer need to have these like subject matter experts only talking about being a woman or being a diverse individual. One of my favorite things since being here the last few days was I moderated a panel on cross-border payments at the Cool Money Bot stage with the actual robot. I wish I had a video of the robot saying my name. <laughs> but anyway, we could make that happen. I mean, it's got to be somewhere. Anyways, that's good for the TikToks. I, I moderated this panel, cross-border payments, love that. And the entire panel was diverse. And it was not a panel about diversity. It was about cross-border payments. And guess what came up naturally without really me even prompting it was talking about financial inclusivity, talking about how when we build for the margins, we get the center for free, talking about the things that this entire industry is literally created to do <laughs> is, is bring access to finance to more people and help everyone make more money and everyone win. And so I, that was for me a highlight was to be asked to do that and then, and it naturally come up and it not you know, be a diversity panel or an inclusion panel or that type of thing. I mean, we obviously come from the place that it's just the right thing to do, right? right. It should just obviously be diverse. But, you know, you'll know the argument all the that where you have diverse management teams, diverse boards, diverse businesses, they reflect society. Mm -hmm. If you reflect society, you understand what society, you know, and there's this whole connection between the composition of an organization, the products they put out and how they serve all of the markets. Mm -hmm. You know, is this is... The work I'm sure you're familiar with, the work of Women's World Bank around this yes. and, um, you know, Marianne's book around the billion people women being excluded and how the connection between the composition of the industry and the product, there is a direct link. Yes. And that theory, it was not even a theory, it's just true, you know, mm -hmm. and so that that connection is really important. You know, it's not just because it's the right thing to do, but it will have a knock on to the other problems of so many women being excluded from the financial system mm -hmm. globally and not just as people think oh well that must be a problem a long way away I mean we know that there is financial exclusion North America mm -hmm. you know, Europe you know it isn't a problem you know just for developing economies um, I think that's sometimes the assumption that yeah it's made. well the assumption is that is in, especially in America it's that okay well we have a large banked population so what do we need to worry about doing basic fundamental, you know, financial inclusion work. And it's like, okay, but what about the people in America that still can't cover a $400 emergency saving or the people in America that still can't, or that are making maybe, that are high earners or, or making over $100,000 a year, but are still living paycheck yeah. to paycheck. And, you know, I did just come from Women's World Banking Summit in India and it's just like mind blowing and incredible to see the work that's being done to just, especially by these fintech companies that are going completely to the fundamental issue of things like identity, the women out there who are working in farms, who are in poverty, who are, you know, working in villages, which is majority of India's population, they don't have IDs, you know? And I met a company out there called Paycode, should totally be on your radar, where, and they won their fintech innovation challenge, one of the winners, and where they go out, their team goes out to these villages and by biometrics and internet free is able to open bank accounts for yeah. these people and these women. The issue is we still have many women in the world who aren't given a birth certificate. So there's no right. proof of their birth, you know, and obviously in India, there is the big system around identification, Adhar, I think is called, you know, where there's been great success with that, with getting digital identity mm -hmm. verification on the population. But the large part of that stems from the 
many women on there isn't a record of their birth mm-hmm. and that fundamentally they don't even exist st- you know is where the problem starts but yeah you know it's a, a big topic and you'll know the pension gap because mm-hmm. of the pay gap the average woman in, in north america has a million dollar gap in her mm-hmm. pension fund by the time she gets to retirement age yet she will live for i think the stats yeah. are five to ten years longer than a man so you know that impact of the inequality is running all the way through mm. um you know so you know it is it's a big issue and then you you're dealing with the issue of you know women uh, struggling you know once they've retired and mm-hmm. that, that's a big problem yeah and it, it has compounding effects that and money you know and part of this description of our session is you know money isn't everything it's everything adjacent and the reality is is that Right. Without the the money set. Right. That does lead to things like domestic violence. It leads to things like homelessness. It leads to all these other lar- even larger issues. But it really does center around being able to understand finances fundamentally. But anyway, I want to I'm like we could go down this road. We could go anywhere. For, here, couldn't we? For, forever. But I do want to quickly. So one thing I always love to do on my show is to ensure that like my audience gets a sense of how you got here. And it's important. It can be quick. Tracy's like, ah, um, I, get her. I know. I mean, and feel free, just any like anecdote, but I really am trying to demystify that, you know, having coming into this industry, you need a certain thing, like a certain criteria, a certain degree, a certain anything. When the reality is, is that fintech is an innovative and new industry and you can really come in from anywhere if you're down to be passionate about this space. And so, yeah, I mean, Tracy, maybe I'll start with you. What brought you here? Well, I'm an outsider now on the inside because I'm not a fintech finance person. So, you know, my job as the president, I'm the business lead, you know, so my background is a media career. I ran business to business media brands. That's what I do in different industries. So before this, I've run it in the publishing industry, I ran in the retail industry. So I was doing that. I just happened to be working at the company that bought Money 2020 in 2014. Oh. So I had been a you know media executive running other B2B brands for them. And then they bought Money 2020 and they wanted you know a business executive to lead the business and they asked me to do it. And I'd run large events, nothing as large as this. Most people haven't run anything as large Mm -hmm. as this, but I'd run a lot of events and sort of brands and they asked me to do it. And I was like, I'd heard a bit, I'd gone to visit off the first one that we did in Europe. So I I knew it was special. I knew Mm -hmm. it was fabulous. And then they asked me to do it. So I happened to be, you know, have a a good track record in the company that bought it, but I didn't have a fintech background. Mm. And a lot of the people who work at Money don't in in some of the business or operational Mm -hmm. roles. But then, you know, I started running it, I think six, seven weeks later, I was living in New York and, you know, I moved there for the first two years because that's where the business was centered at that point. And, you know, and that's my journey. And then I fell in love with this crazy brand. Um, <laughs> you know, there's such a, a you know, vibe about it. And yeah. The team loved this brand. We always talk about by the industry, for the industry, and you really feel that here. Mm-hmm. And even like I was talking to someone who's only been here two weeks and he was like, oh my God, you can feel the passion in the industry. Mm-hmm. You can feel the passion in the team. And then I fell in love with the industry and then mm-hmm. I had to learn the industry. And everyone's so welcoming, I find, in this industry. And I always say that to new folk who come and join us. You'll never get your first three months People are so generous about Mm. explaining what is a complex industry. They'll always explain it to you. So, yeah, I'm an outsider now, hopefully on the inside. 
Tracy, you're inspiring me because I didn't realize we had some things in common. I mean, which makes sense. So, I mean, right, that's why it's it's so important to share stories. I mean, I say my entire background is journalism, B2B finance journalism. Like I just, I happened to get my first job out of grad school writing for about housing and mortgages in Dallas, Texas. And then, which I eventually fluttered over to New York and but that's how that happened. And then you and you fall in love with the ability of being able to shape the narrative of an industry that truly can create change. Is that somewhat of what happened with yeah, I you? mean, definitely to a degree. I was just thinking, hey, we also have the New York connection. And the other night, Tracy and I were making some comparisons. We're here in Amsterdam. The new Amsterdam of the U.S. is New York, by the way. So mm-hmm. there's some nice, nice parallels there. I was trying to find a way to encapsulate the crazy journey to get here in a short amount of time. But I would say I always had expectations of what I wanted to do. My first resume, when you used to have the tagline of like what your objective was to be CEO of a major corporation in New York City, I came from a very small town in Colorado. And when I and I had that for a long time, even throughout college. And when I went to start an interview, in fact, women, two different women told me, why do you have that on there? That's too ambitious. That's not going to happen. And and so anyways, my path was a very complicated one, stumbled into, I was an accounting major, stumbled into entrepreneurship, fell in love, loved the startup vibe, startup culture before it was a really big thing. Never thought I was going to do anything else. Ended up becoming a finalist in BBVA's startup competition years before when it was not a fintech thing and anyone could do it. I started talking to BBVA. They, we had an opportunity. They wanted me to join. And I was like, there's no way I'm going into banking. I had such a negative perception. <laughs> All the things you were talking about yeah. earlier about the, the connection and overlap between money. For me, I had a very negative relationship with money. I had seen all the things. There was a lot of trauma and drama in my life around money and my family's life around money. And so I blamed the industry for that. And I was like, that's not me. And they said, honestly, Scarlett, think about it. Our CEO was an old school IBM engineer, you know, came and did this whole thing. Anyways, fell into the industry imposter syndrome was real because of the fintech because of the tech background they gave me this huge platform and I'm like I don't know what I'm doing here and they just let me go and it was I will be forever grateful for my life to BBVA for starting that that path but I guess the long story short is I always had I had an idea of what I was going to be and even when Tracy and I first started talking I loved this brand this brand is so powerful but I'm like but I'm not an events person. And I was saying this is what my past should be. And then when Trace and I kept talking, it's like, it's not about what you do. It's about mm-hmm. loving what you do exactly. and just falling in. And there are so many different ways. When you think of fintech, think of financial services, you have an impression of what that is, but it actually can encapsulate so, so many things. Whatever it is that you do, the movement of money impacts mm-hmm. it in some way, shape or form. And you can find your niche, you can find your passion for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think bringing that human element and conversation to, and just share, like those stories that you share, they, I mean, that's going to resonate with the thousands of people that listen to this show and uh, that largely my audience being women and women in fintech and entrepreneurs and investors and operators and needing to understand that or even women that I call them my fintech curious crowd, you know, who DM me and they're like, Nicole, I really want to get into fintech, but I don't know how to start. And I'm like, why don't you start by listening to a podcast, like, and listen to the way that women like yourself, who are now these like powerhouses success, right? Like people look at you and like, and I, sometimes it doesn't feel that way, right? Sometimes, but they look at you like this amazing success and, but they need to hear, right? Some of the things that you went through to get there. But now that you're, you know, 
two powerhouse women that are shaping the narrative of the industry. I mean, Money 2020 is like is arguably the largest event and content space in the industry. And so you're really leading where you know, content leads where developments happen, where innovation happens, how leaders decide to make decisions on what happens next. So how do you, I guess, continue to ensure that this platform is always used to progress the industry forward and never perpetuating any of the things that you want to stay away from? I would say for me, it's two things. I'd say, first of all, having a, a female boss, I have not had a great track record with that. And the, mm-hmm. the psychological safety that is so important to me that that she provides and allows us to flourish. So to your larger point around that, I think that is the same things that I push in my team. And when you have a team of experts, I see one of them who's staring at me right now with a beautiful face from FinTech, like allowing them to be themselves and test the crazy shit Mm -hmm. because we are a public company. We need to produce results for our shareholders. We have to make sure that we hit specific goals, but there are many different ways to do that. And so it's allowing us to do small tests in interesting ways. Even this, Rachel is the one who started the money pot. It was a little baby brand within what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And she knew a lot about podcasts. We built all of this, not just for her, it's obviously for our brand, but taking those ideas that may seem crazy in the beginning and allowing the team who have that passion and have those points to really push it forward. And then, like I said, too, you know, about setting the pace of the industry, the team out there, our entire content team, Nicole, across the world, all comes from fintech. We have mm-hmm. ex-journalists like you. Mm-hmm. We have people who come from a venture fund. We have people who are operators from fintech. They've seen it from every angle mm-hmm. and they challenge each other all the time mm-hmm. to make sure this isn't good enough. We need to be better here Love because it. it's really easy to get a bit complacent, especially when you're thinking about, we have 200 plus sessions here. Mm -hmm. We have 300 plus speakers. Like how do you constantly push each other, challenge each other, make sure that again, to your earlier points about diversity, the team themselves are reflective of the world, but then their backgrounds and their, Rachel used to be in politics. Like people come from very different places where that we're making sure we're constantly challenging ourselves and being better versions of ourselves. In my mind, we don't have any competitors. Of course, there's a competitive landscape. Our competition is ourself. And so yes. I challenge them and they challenge each other every day to make sure that if there is not someone here who didn't get inspired and didn't learn something, then we failed and we got to do better next mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And when I love that you said psychological safety and that being really the foundation, right? Because it's the trickle effect. If you give the team and the people, especially the people that need it most, that psychological safety to to take the risks and do the things. And yeah, you produce results and results that the shareholders will like, right? And that's how that happens. And I that makes me think of Rise Amplify, which I know is your baby, if you want, maybe one of your babies. And I mean, talk about psychological safety. I mean, that's a space that really brings that to the table. I mean, will you, for the listeners that maybe don't know, share a little bit about that. So Rise Up was a, is now five years old, mm. which I find incredible. Baby's grown up. The baby's grown up. So I started, I'd done a similar program actually, so I'd had experience of doing this. I'd done something called Be Inspired in the Mm -hmm. UK retail industry. I'd just created it and then I left and they've taken it on to be amazing, full credit to them. And so I knew I was going to do some kind of program, but I'd seen a lot of, you know, oh, let's do a drinks for women type stuff. And, you know, I love a a drink and a cocktail party, but, you know, I wanted to create something that was meaningful, uh, that was tangible and, and had real impact. 
Mm. And, you know, I'm not saying that a cocktail party doesn't, but, you know, I had a vision that was slightly different. And so I wanted to create this program where we would bring women together. And one of the sort of passions and real focus areas around that was about building out women's networks. And there's a lot of data and research done that women focus on doing a great job, Mm -hmm. getting great results, working very hard, but that the intentional building of network, for whatever reason, doesn't happen. I think there's a lot of societal reasons about where traditional networking Mm -hmm. happens, the time, how that doesn't fit with women's lives. And, you know, it's a whole bigger thing. But aside from all of that, I knew that the power of women coming together and the power of women helping each other and you know we involve men in rise up and male mentors and you know that we struggle can i say Mm -hmm. to get men to agree to come and be mentors so Mm -hmm. please if you're listening to this and you want to be a mentor you know because we don't this isn't like a women only space yes you know this is a shared societal problem that will benefit all of society so you know that was the real focus was really about bringing women together for for networks and now here we are 300 women by tonight Mm -hmm. will have been through the program well, wow. for every, we have 30-ish places in each cohort. We get about 250 applications for each cohort now. There's a lot of demand. And, you know, we've always kept the program quite small. So it is a program, we always call it an accelerator program for ambitious women, happens at each of the shows. And that was the original program. And that alumni have gone on and, you know, now there's 300 of them out there. And they are passionate they pay it forward, they advocate for us, they come back, they're ambassadors. I mean, they're amazing. They've gone back to their organisations. And then lots of senior women in organisations, you know, Veronique Steiner at JP Morgan is a massive supporter of us and, you know, feels bad to name one because there are so many. Mm-hmm. Susan Barton at EY, there's been so many women over the years who have helped us create this. You know, it really is, a, you know, an industry initiative mm-hmm. as well as the Money 2021. And then, you know, we took, and I'll talk about this, you know, we took criticism, oh, it's, you know, why aren't you doing more for women? Mm. You know, why aren't you doing other things? You know, we were, I I had the great privilege, thanks to Scarlett, to interview Lily Cole here on Tuesday. And one of the things that she talked about was one of the really big problems is this cult of perfection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that companies do nothing because they're so scared they're going to get called out for doing Mm -hmm. it wrong, not doing enough. And I know what that feels like Mm -hmm. because I was called out, oh, you're only doing it for women because you're a woman. What about everyone else? And I was always really clear, we are going to start somewhere. We're going to take one step and then we're going to take another. Five years on, 300 women, 46% of the speakers here. You know that we have programs now with Amplify, people of colour, we have the same strategy around the composition of our stages, people of colour, you know, and this Europe is our most accessible show. We're trialling some technology for people with hearing issues and the neurodiverse Mm -hmm. using some phone technology into glasses that, you know, live transcribes. So, um, plus we have worked a lot on accessibility issues for all of our stages, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we are looking at the total Mm -hmm. inclusivity of everyone in the industry inside our events but you have to start somewhere yes we're not perfect yes and one of the reasons you don't see me so much on social media actually is I find that that call out or you might get called out for this actually Mm -hmm. you know have an an anxiety about that I know people like Scarlett and they're tweeting and posting all the time I also have anxiety about that (laughs) and I really you know because a couple of times I got called out for things and Mm -hmm. you you know oh yeah not perfect we're not we're trying to do the very best we can and what I would say is I've seen a real shift in the industry over that period. And then they're pushing us on stuff. At the start, you know, we're pushing. And it's great. I'm seeing real progress. I know the stats. 
still aren't telling that story. Mm-hmm. But the work that we do with organisations, we are seeing more and more diverse speaker rosters coming through and applications. So mm-hmm. I do see a change coming. I do see real progress. I was talking to a banker last night who was telling me about their in, their graduate intake. It's now, I think they were saying 67% female. Mm. So, you know, there is a shift, but mm-hmm. I think this cult of perfection stops yes. companies from doing more. And I think that's a real shame because there is a fear that you're going to get called out if you get something wrong. And I I really want to, like, let me just say right now that I do not stand by, like, cancel culture. I do not stand by, you know, the the shaming or the banning or anything like that because that doesn't get us anywhere. There's, I don't, if you've ever read any of uh, Audre Lorde's work, but she's like, a, she's a poet and Black queer feminist activist and her book, Sister Outsider totally just changed my life. But she, one of her big quotes in it is that the master's tools cannot dismantle the master's house. And so we can't play, you know, oppression Olympics. We can't do things that we're not supposed to be compatible with each other. We're supposed to be in this together. And I feel that way when I, you know, I'm on Twitter and all of a sudden I'm getting like attacked by people that don't know me because I'm genderizing the industry or I'm because I, femme is in the fabric of my company name and everything. It's like, I didn't genderize anything. The world has done this and I'm just acknowledging what has happened so that women can be armed with the knowledge and receipts to move forward. And I think that's like the struggle. But when you're open and honest about it, it's kind of like it. we're shutting the gaslighting off. Right. And that's what we have to do. We have to shut the gaslighting off for women so that for everyone, because the reality is that things like patriarchy and all the things that you can bring people down, they impact everyone. They impact men. They impact older white men. They impact every single person. And I love that you have the space to have everyone involved. With Fintech is Femme, I've never wanted to host anything that was only for women. My event is always meant to include everyone. My community is membership-based. It's for everybody. We got like one guy in there, but I'm hoping for more. <laughs> I'm like, bring him in. He's uh, number one. Number one guy. But like, it's what's necessary is having the conversation between everyone and then and being open and honest about not being perfect. I did a diversity report recently with a company called Array and they're a three-year-old startup just about six months ago, hired their DEIB officer. She's amazing. Her name's Lena Kulnari. You should check her out. But she, you know, that's only six months ago. So almost so three years in and they'd just started their DEIB practice. And, but the fact that they were willing to go out there and say, hey, like, we're not perfect. We did this and that's, and now we're working on it. It's the incremental part that you're talking about. Yeah. It's interesting because you mentioned Women's World Bank. I know you were at their conference in Mumbai. I sadly couldn't be there, but yeah, we've linked up with them actually. Mm-hmm. We announced a couple of weeks ago with Findexable and Women's World Bank and Money 2020 and lots of other industry supporters, by the way, you know, because we want to get the word out there. And there's a benchmarking tool where, you know, right. fintechs can go in, answer some simple questions and get a sort of first readout on the stats, really. And, you know, what we're trying to create is data points, the first data point about diversity and inclusion in, you know, our target is privately held fintechs. And we announced that and then, you know, we're hoping to potentially release the first look at that data in later this year. Mm-hmm. But I think that's quite interesting to the data point about measuring and encouraging companies. And I think one of the barriers we talked about is that a company might not want to because they might be, oh, my God, you know, we know we're not, we know our stats are not good enough, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. but, you know, you've got to start somewhere. And if you measure and you start and then it's the move forward. And I think then we all move forward. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, publicly held companies, as you know, are held 
in a different mm-hmm. way. We have to record that data. We are Julia Hoggett here from the London Stock Exchange. You know, we're on the London Stock Exchange under our parent company. There's a lot of data mm-hmm. that you have to release and measure and record and, you know, not so much in the private space. And we're really encouraging privately held fintechs mm-hmm. because we know that that is part of the attraction and retention of women in organisations as well. Because if you don't think that, you know, we do our due diligence and we go and look at the board and composition of the NED board and the main board mm-hmm. and the investors, and we look and go, mm, okay, that doesn't look like a place where I might want to work because mm-hmm. there don't seem to be many women. You know, women do that due diligence on companies all the time. So I think it's really important. I think data, you know, I'm really proud of the initiative we're doing with Fintexable yeah. and Women's World Bank around this. Yeah, I know we're tight on time, but I wanted to just, there was a few points that Tracy made that I wanted to try to tie into everything that we talked about because we talked about psychological safety. We talked about Rise Up Amplify. We talked about DNI and, and stats. And the one thing that I wanted to kind of connect mm-hmm. about you know, obviously Tracy's given us a ton of data of what's come out of that. And especially the other thing you were saying, Nicole, about people who haven't been in here in the fintech curious, this is really for them. One of the things that's been so interesting for me, if you go in, as Tracy said, we have 30 people in those rooms of each of each group. In my mind, there's a lot of things that we talked about in New York culture, American culture, household culture. Network is the most important thing to get mm-hmm. you where you need to go. It's the hardest thing to replicate and it's the hardest thing to get access mm-hmm. to. To me, the power of Rise Up and Amplify, in my mind, is the network. Mm-hmm. You have these three days of high intensity, high emotional, high impact moments, and you become a family at the other side mm-hmm. of that. And because there is a, sa- a place that is created of psychological safety, you get to know each other, the vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. the strengths, and things that you can't do anywhere else yep. and replicate anywhere else, which is why we don't want it to be bigger than 30. And go read, I'll send some to you later, the emotional, like, real posts of these people who've come out of that and how it's changed their lives. And it sounds easy to say, but that's them changing each other's lives. That's not us. We just provided the platform. They made it happen. And it's so awesome to see. I mean, it's creating the same network that the men in our lives have had for forever, right? Men have been trained to see the world of business and careers as a team sport and women haven't. And so, and people of color, right? Because of all the scarcity mindset and all the things. So, but to create that space and the trickle effect that happens, I mean, it's inspiring to me as someone who's also like building community and trying to help with the, yeah. the network effect and creating a different playbook for women and people of color. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's often this thing where if I do something for you, Nicole, you think you've immediately got to do something yeah. for me you know it's like and you know that sort of being a little bit more relaxed about it about you want to meet x and that's fine you know and I think that sort of relaxed way of it I think people women often like okay you've done that so I have to do something for you now and we need to sort of you know relax yeah a I, little bit more into it but the power of the network and I'm in some of the whatsapp groups from the cohorts over the years and I can tell you they are going strong, even back from Vegas I mean, 2018. So. I mean, it's creating those real relationships with the social capital. And like the, one of the last things I'll say is I got to be in that room in the Vegas show. I was filling in for someone who had to, but for Michelle Tran, who unfortunately had to leave at the time. And I ho- hope to be a part of the cohort officially. <laughs> but I was in there and I like entered that room and I was like, oh my gosh, this is where the women and people of color are. I feel so safe. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. And then I never had so many people like come up to me after I spoke and like, just be like everything that you just said. Hi. Oh, I'm biracial too. Oh my God. Like in all the things, the connectivity, you feel so safe. And now I'm like, I want to be here all the time. And that's the sauce. That's the juice. Like that's how you get women and people of color in this space. Tracy and Scarlett, thank you so, so much for all of the work you're doing. Thank you for coming on my show. Thank you for being so gracious with your time and your energy and for all of the programs and work that you do to help our industry move forward in the best way possible for people and profits. You know what I mean? So 
I, yeah, thank, thank you. Stay match you, girl. You, uh, you're inspiring you. a movement. So. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too.